showtime. This is gonna be good. I myself am strange and unusual. Welcome to Burton-esque, a podcast for all things strange, unusual, and macabre. Hey spooky friends, before we get into this episode, I wanted to give you a fair warning. While every episode is marked explicit for content and my occasional potty mouth, this particular episode handles extremely graphic and sexual content that really does deserve the explicit label. So please proceed with caution. On the night of July 22nd, 1991, two officers are driving their patrol car near 924 North 25th Street in Milwaukee when their routine evening takes an interesting turn. They're flagged down by a half-naked, handcuffed man in the street. He frantically explains that he's just escaped a man that held him captive, threatening to cut his heart out with a butcher knife and eat it. The officers follow the man back to the apartment he'd been held in discovering Polaroids filled with dismembered body parts that had been taken in the spot they were standing in. Believing that these photos were real, they started to search the apartment, revealing just what a house of horrors they had stepped into. Four severed heads were found in the kitchen with two human hearts and dismembered body parts stored in the fridge. A total of seven painted human skulls are found within the home. The officers have just discovered the gruesome murders of serial killer and cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer. Did you hear what one of the police officers said when he opened the fridge and found a head? No. Oh my god, it's a fucking head. <laughs> Not verbatim, but pretty much like that. <laughs> I thought you really had some kind of like interview tape or something. What else would you say? Like, how else would you say that? I have oh, no idea. Oh, there's a head. Oops. Oh no. Shucks. <laughs> Golly, that really sucks for that guy. <laughs> no, you say there's a fucking head in the refrigerator. <laughs> splitting headache. <laughs> I just almost spit my drink if anybody wants to know what that noise was. All right, spooky friends. This is someone that you may have heard before, my good friend, Kenzie, with the Dapper and the Dames podcast, which is now Dapper and the Dame. Yeah, we lost a dame, but it's okay because her podcast is pretty sick. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It's exciting to record with you again. I know. I missed it. It's yeah, it's always fun. And this is a perfect episode. So Dahmer, he actually killed people for 13 years before he was caught. Between 1978 and 1991. Huge span of time. On the scale of psychotic but fascinating, he's pretty off the charts. He's not only a serial killer, but he's a necrophiliac and a cannibal. Typically, he would go after African-American men that he met at gay bars or malls. And he would lure them home with promises of sex or money. I mean, might have worked on me. He was kind of attractive. Right, if Ed Kemper could do it, then I mean... That's true. Dahmer could get it. So he would usually drug the alcoholic beverages he gave to these men, and he would take them back home to his grandma's house or his apartment. And he's a bit of a trophy killer. He would take pictures of these men at different stages of the murder, just so that he could go back and look at them later. I have no words. 
he would not only keep parts of their bodies to eat later, but he usually cut off their genitalia and kept those as trophies. Or he kept their skulls and painted them. I'm all for DIY, and uh, I like craft projects, but it's a little extreme, even for me. (laughs) I'm just trying to picture just gray like that's boring can you not did you have no imagination to take it further can you not paint some i don't know some designs on it or something your skulls and like painted them in like bright frilly colors literally what i was picturing color that shiz up put some hearts on it and some swirlies come on you gotta make it interesting (laughs) he would usually perform sexual acts with these deceased corpses prior to slicing off the genitalia at least it was prior to i guess (laughs) oh god oh i wouldn't even be surprised though so Dahmer was a very socially withdrawn individual he had a bit of a drinking problem uh discharged from the army in 1981 for excessive alcohol consumption prior to the arrest for the murders he was arrested a few times for disorderly conduct indecent exposure and masturbating in front of two boys. Good God. He was stationed in Germany, right? Makes you wonder if he killed anyone over there in Germany when he was there. He was there for like two years, wasn't he? Yes. They said that they didn't find anybody that he had murdered in Germany, but that he had sexually assaulted a few people in Germany. Yeah, I didn't know that. Being who I am, I always like to see what astrological sign a serial killer is. Because he was born in May, and I'm a Taurus. I was like, oh, maybe he's a Taurus. No, he's a Gemini. (laughs) You're like, dodge the bullet on that one. I was like, please, we don't claim him. Gemini is represented by the twins. They often have very two-sided personalities. And it's kind of hard to figure out which one you're going to get. But what I thought was really interesting is that people born under this sign can feel like their other half is missing and are always seeking out new attachments. And I'm not saying that all Geminis are cannibalistic killers, but I was reading some statements about serial killers and cannibals by forensic psychology professor, Dr. Eric Hickey. He said cannibals tend to develop extreme attachments to people and suffer from neediness and low self-esteem. So they're not really psychopaths. They make attachments. They're just extreme attachments. And extreme negative attachments. <laughs> they feel really insecure and they can't have normal relationships. So eating their victims gives them a sense of power because the victims can never leave. I mean, in a few hours it will. But... <laughs> Gross. <laughs> they start experimenting with sexual fantasies about voyeurism and necrophilia. And as they're fantasizing, they explore the behavior. You don't see them usually jump from killing to eating. It starts with watching people sleep and then drugging them. And then you want to be with someone who's buried or unconscious and it progresses from there. So that also explains his necrophilia. Joe from you, but like so much worse. Exactly. His very first murder was when he was only 18 years old. Did you say 13, 14 years? 13 years? 13 years. Wow. Yeah. So he just graduated high school. He hadn't even gone into the army yet when his first murder happened. His first victim was Stephen Hicks, who was hitchhiking in June of 1978. He was picked up by Jeffrey and drove back to Dahmer's parents' house. Jeffrey got him drunk, and when Hicks attempted to leave, he struck him in the head with a barbell and continued to strangle him. 
He was death for some friends, apparently. Yeah. That's insane. So after he had hit him in the head with the barbell, he dismembered the corpse and packed the bits into plastic bags, burying them underneath the home. I don't. I don't. I just don't. (laughs) I just don't. I just can't. He went back and he dug those bags back up and decided to crush the bones with a sledgehammer. Then he sprinkled them like salt bay across the ravine. What the f- People are just like down there hanging out in the ravine, not knowing they're just hanging out on bones of a human. Right. His next murder was three months later, in September of 1978. He checked into a hotel with Stephen Tuomi. They drank themselves into a stupor, and Dahmer woke up to find Stephen deceased. I don't know that he was actually intending to kill Stephen. Mm hmm. But he found him basically bloody and beaten to death underneath the bed. So something happened. He got a really large suitcase and stuffed Stephen into it and took his body back to his grandmother's basement. Oh my god. His poor grandma, too, was just, like, chilling upstairs in her chair, watching her shows. She had no idea with all of these murders. She had no idea. This is before his first arrest. This was her first experience with necrophilia. He did some things to the body while in the basement before he dismembered it. These poor young men, like, that's so sad. What's even sadder is he judged these men as being from bad backgrounds, being poor. He thought that they were more susceptible to being criminals. I also heard, too, that his target was also low income because then they're more eager to take the money. Correct. The next victim was Dahmer's first underage kill. He was 14 years old. James Doxeter was strangled to death, and this is the first time that Jeffrey used acid to remove the flesh from bones. Oh my, oh, I'm gonna gag. After the flesh was removed from the bones, he smashed them just like he did with Stephen Hicks and spread those bones in the ravine as well. His next kill wasn't until March when he had oral sex with 23-year-old Richard Guerrero prior to strangling and dismembering him. When was the last kill was what year? How long was that gap between? It was like five or six months. This corpse he disposed of in the garbage. No acid, no sledgehammer, just tossed it he in the garbage. He just threw it away? Pretty much. In what month? March? March. Good lord. Yeah, the smell. What state was he in? It might have been Wisconsin. I know that his dad lived in Ohio and that he lived there for a while. At some point, he moved to Wisconsin. Okay. So it's probably still kind of cold in March. 26-year-old Anthony Sears was his fifth victim. This is what really fueled Dahmer's desire for murder. He brought Sears back to his grandmother's house, where he strangled and dismembered him like the victims before. But this time... He cut off Sears' genitals and head to keep his trophies. And this is the first skull that was painted gray. He kept his genitals, too? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's just, I don't understand how people's minds work. It's fascinating. Like, it's sick, and it's wrong, and it's twisted, but it's fascinating. Exactly. Just- That's what this all is. It's not, like, intriguing. Like, ooh, I want to know what it's like to murder someone. Disgusting. No, it's so fascinating to think, how could someone think like that? To try and understand the process. Right. Like, how? what is so different in your brain than mine that allows Mm -hmm. you to be able to be okay with doing something like that to someone else? Right. Or how hurt must you have been? Or what kind of trauma did you go through 
because that's why the whole Dr. Hicks research was really interesting to me is that it's not that he is a psychopath that doesn't have attachments. It's that he's too attached, that he has to feel so detached from everybody else and seeking so much attention that he has to keep people's body parts. He wants to consume the body parts. Like it's really interesting and how powerless he must have felt because everything to him is about power, overpowering someone. Right. And it's more than just like, it's easy to say he had a mental illness, but it goes way beyond, for any serial killer, it goes way beyond that. It was during the time of this murder of Anthony Sears that Dahmer had drugged and sexually fondled a 13-year-old boy. It's so disgusting. He was arrested for the incident and given five years probation and a one-year stay at a work-release camp. Okay, to begin with, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Five years probation and a one-year stay at a work camp, which... How about put the fucker away and then you would have saved some lives? He didn't even serve a full year. Oh, good behavior? Yep. (laughs) For good behavior. Look at the person who released him. Let's do that. It gets way worse than that. But he was registered as a sex offender. Then he was released. At this point in his life... Later on, when he was interviewed, he said it was an incessant and never-ending desire to be with someone at whatever cost. Someone good-looking, really nice-looking. It just filled my my thoughts all day long. Not just be with someone. Be with someone and then strangle them and dismember them and eat them. Like, he was obsessed. He was thinking about it every day, all day. Right, it goes with what you said about attachments, but then it goes on beyond that more that he wanted the power over them. He wanted them to be around when he wanted them around, how he wanted them around, and he wanted control over it. Grandma knew about the drinking. She knew at this point about him being registered as a sex offender and that he had tried to, you know, fondle a little boy. So she kicked him out of the house. So when he got released from the work release program, he went and moved into that famous apartment in Milwaukee. All right. The first five murders were done before the apartment. It was the next dozen that happened in Milwaukee. The first victim that was murdered in his apartment was 33-year-old Raymond Lamont Smith. Like Sears, Raymond's skull was painted gray and placed in the fridge. Jeffrey submerged the body in a tub of acid until the flesh was stripped from the bones, and then he spread his bones around the apartment like ornaments. I'm all for some, like, skulls around my house, but I would prefer them to not be real. Right. Like, I have a lot, but they're, like, crystals and, you know, plastic. <laughs> and it just makes me wonder about the men that came over afterwards. Because he got a lot of men to come over willingly and have drinks with him and have sex with him or pose nude for photos. Where were these bones then? Like, was he putting them away every time someone came over? Did they just not say anything about it? Like... Could they not smell anything? Exactly. He just goes around and sprays Febreze. Is there a Febreze strong enough for the smell of rotting human flesh? I don't know. I think there's something that's called like Ozium or something that's supposed to eliminate odor. I don't know if that's strong enough or not. God, I feel like it's really sad that these men, because he wasn't offering them a ton of money. I know. I hate that they felt, for whatever reason of their own, that they went and stayed like I just hate that they were going through that that put them in that situation you know right guarantee that their intuition was telling them no don't go back or once they were there leave 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 but then for some reason they felt they had to stay obviously right or maybe they really wanted to but 
that's again just going in someone's head that I just don't understand. Well, I know that he liked to drug them through alcohol. Once they were there, yeah. But they had to at least make it there. He had to have been charismatic somehow, right? To mm-hmm. attract somebody to come back. It's really difficult for anybody to predict this kind of thing, right? There's no victim shaming. No, that's um, that's the opposite of what we're doing. To me, very sad to think that somebody is going through that kind of situation. That feel like they have to be with this man who's offering them a small amount of money to pose naked just to, to get by. Well, on that point, I mean, maybe they just wanted to do it and they were all for just posing naked, which, I mean, go for it. That's awesome. Body positivity, show it off, do whatever the hell you want. It's when they have those gut feelings that they shouldn't go or the gut feelings and the overwhelming smell when they get into the apartment that's kept them there. That's what, yeah, that's what's it's... hard to imagine, you know? Like, I feel so heartbroken for them and whatever they were going through at that time. Like, uh, there are no words that really do it justice, you know? And it gets a little worse as you move on, right? He has to escalate because what he's doing is not getting his rocks off anymore. So now he has to try something new or something harsher. Mm-hmm. He had a few that were a little different. The first one that was a little bit of a change is the one that he had promised $58 to pose nude. Instead of strangling him, he slit his throat. I wonder what change, like what, I don't know. I'm not even trying to get in his head. <laughs> it could have been a stronger attachment to this one because this is right. one of the first ones that he saved body parts to eat also. So now we've escalated from the strangling. We've escalated from the sexual, whatever he did to the man before he died and whatever he did after he died. Now he's also saving his biceps. He put them in the fridge to eat later. So it might have been just a a deeper connection he felt with this one. Right. And like you were saying before, just like the need to do something more. And that must have been sufficient to hold him over for a while. Because with David Thomas and with Anthony Hughes, he went back to the strangulation. But Anthony Hughes, he let him sit in the house for a few days before he put the body in acid. And that's when neighbors really started to ask him about the smell and inquire what was going on. And he just said that he had rotten meat in the fridge that he forgot to throw out. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. Who just lets that go? Like, how rotten is your meat and how long has it been sitting there? You just let it go and you're just living with that? Yeah, I would be like, uh, no, that no. That's not right. (laughs) You got some bodies in there and you're going to eat them. I've seen this before. (laughs) Now I know. Although I guess I really don't know what a body smells like. Thank God I've never been in that situation. I hope to God neither of us are ever in that situation. (laughs) I would say I do unfortunately know what a body smells like when it's being cremated. Because my dad's work was down the street from a crematory. And you can smell it when they would cremate someone. The high school I went to after Riverton, like when I moved back to California, was right next to a crematorium. Oh, God. Yeah. So I do know what it smells like to cremate a body. And I've vacuumed up my hair before, so I know what that smells (laughs) like. (laughs) I have burnt my hair a few times, more times than I should admit as an adult woman. (laughs) Is that spell work or... (laughs) 
We'll go with yes. <laughs> or just being silly. Or not sober. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't really know what a body smells like, but I imagine three days. And at this point, May of 1991. Okay. Oh, my God. So, so summer. I don't know what the temperature is like in Milwaukee in May, but I'm assuming it's probably getting warm. How cold, I mean, not that I will ever do this, but how cold do you think you'd have to keep your house for it to not smell like that? Okay, here's how I'm going to think this through, because I like my house pretty cold. Like, at night, I'll keep it at 65, and so Mm -hmm. I wake up, and that's pretty cold, and that doesn't feel cold enough. So I would think maybe 50s, 40s, or less, maybe? I don't even know. How cold do I keep, like, freezers and fridges, or, like, mortuary things? Okay, so first of all... Anthony Hughes was a deaf mute. How did he manage that? He couldn't talk and he couldn't hear. But apparently, Dahmer was pretty fond of him because they actually went on a few dates before this. Oh, really? Hence, back to what you were saying about a stronger attachment. Maybe he really liked his biceps. Maybe. And I don't mean that in like a trying to make it a joke way. I mean, like, maybe that's why he kept the biceps. No, that's a good point. So he took him out on a few dates, and maybe that's why this man went back home with him, because he trusted him a little more. Oh no, poor guy. Again, that makes sense, actually. I understand. Ew, I understand. (laughs) I think that he probably really did have an attachment to this one. He took him out on a few dates, and that's why he didn't immediately put him in the acid, because he didn't want to part with him yet. Right. I was kind of thinking that, too. I mean, I don't think that he's actually talked about this, but I wonder if this became really an arousal for him, that he could only be aroused and get off with the death. So maybe he didn't really want the man to die yet, but he had to strangle him to death to finish. Mm -hmm. I guess I could understand then. Yeah, it's interesting. Where that would branch off into needing to keep the parts. Mm-hmm. Or needing to keep the body around for a few days because he has no choice in his particular pleasure but to strangle and kill these men. But his attachment side is maybe remorseful or wasn't ready to let go yet. I could That's... see that for sure. I think that makes actually a lot of sense. Oh, man. It makes me feel bad for him, kind of. I know. You kind of hate to say it, but at the same time, you're like... If you think about that aspect of what he was going through, Mm -hmm. you do kind of feel a little bad for him. I mean, you and I are both proponents of mental health. So at the end of the day, he did some terrible things. And a lot of it he did knowingly and purposefully. At the same time, he was obviously a person who struggled very much with mental health and Mm -hmm. some real disability. So... I can't judge him too harshly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't mm-hmm. condone the things that he did. But at the same time, he's a human who had human emotions, who had issues that he really needed help with. And I think it's only natural for people like you and me who are empathic and who really care about people to feel some kind of empathy or sympathy for an individual who's really struggling. Right, and it doesn't mean it's going to outweigh the other feelings we have for him, but the feeling is still just, like, that nagging feeling, like, oh, shit. The same month as Mr. Anthony Hughes, which was May of 1991, Jeffrey killed his second underage victim. 
another 14-year-old. Okay, now this particular murder is extremely upsetting because this is another opportunity that they had to put Dahmer away. The way that this was handled was atrocious. There's no other word for it. It was atrocious. It's so unfortunate to hear about these cases where if it would have been handled differently, the outcome would have been life-saving for someone else. And this wasn't just negligence. It was racist and homophobic. This boy was uh, from Laos. He was Laotian. Dahmer went to a bar assuming that he was going to pick up another person. And this boy got out. He found two teenage girls at the apartment and he was frantic. They could hardly understand him, Mm -hmm. but they knew something was wrong. So they called the cops and Dahmer came home, found the boy talking to the girls and he approached them trying to explain that, you know, this is my 19 year old lover and we had a fight and it's fine. He's just really drunk. Dahmer had been drugging and experimenting on him. He'd been injecting acid into his frontal lobe. Oh my God. So the boy is out of it, but he's trying to like fight for his life, right? So Dahmer tried to physically grab him and pull him away, but the girls stopped him and they made him wait until the police came. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Right? Those are some badass ladies. Now here's where it goes downhill. The two officers show up, John Balkerzak and Joseph Gebrish. Dahmer says the same thing to them that he said to the teenage girls about the boy being his 19-year-old lover and just being extremely drunk. Can you not tell he's 14? Like, I want to know what he looked like. I'll send you a picture of him. Yeah, do. Because I'm very curious how the cops didn't question the fact that he could have been underage. He has a baby face, too. You know, they didn't listen to him and they didn't really pay attention to him and they took Dahmer's authority Even the teenage girls and the witnesses that were trying to tell the cops something else was wrong and that they need to look into it, they didn't listen to them. They just believed whatever Dahmer was saying. Completely wrote it off. He's a young white guy. He's a young white guy. They didn't check the boy for any injuries. They didn't go into the apartment and search the apartment. In fact, they walked the boy back to the apartment and gave him over to Dahmer. So they're not even questioning the fact that supposedly he's not even 21 then and he's drunk, they say. So they're not questioning the fact that he is out in the middle of the street, intoxicated, frantic. And they didn't investigate the smell either. How do you smell that and just go on with your day and sleep well at night? As they were walking away, they made fun of Dahmer and the other boy for being gay. Homophobic comments about them. Of course they fucking did. So that's disgusting. So instead of taking Dahmer, arresting him, ending his killing spree, saving this boy, they just gave him right back to him. Like they didn't even have red flags that they look into or they just ignore the red flags? They They just ignored him. That same night, as soon as the cops were gone, he injected more acid into the boy's brain. This time it was so much it killed him. Then he sexually abused him and put him in the tub of acid. God. After Dahmer was arrested, these two cops were looked into and they were discharged. But here's the more infuriating part. They got their jobs back. God, that shit pisses me off so bad. Totally. Between June 30th and July 19th of 1991, he killed four more victims. Matt Turner was strangled and left lying around the house. Oliver Lacey and Joseph Bradhoft were strangled and dismembered. And Lacey's heart and Brad Hoff's torso were both saved in the fridge for consumption. I'm sorry, so people can come at me, but those deaths are on those cops' hands, too. 
I agree 100%. Everything that happened after they were called is on them. Yep. And I really don't think they should have gotten their jobs back. The only murder that was a little different during that time was Jeremiah Weinberger. Dahmer injected boiling water into his head. What is his fascination with this? Like, I don't even want to understand it, but... I think, like we were talking about earlier, it was becoming too routine, it was becoming too boring, it was becoming too easy. Now he had to have more control, he had to have more power, he had to keep them around longer. Yeah, he had to up his game. So the boiling water in his head put Jeremiah in a coma before he was strangled. So this brings us to the night of July 22nd, when Tracy Edwards was brought into Dahmer's apartment. He was given a drug cocktail to make him drowsy, and then Jeffrey made sexual advances towards him and attempted to handcuff him. This one was like, hell no. He took the opportunity while Dahmer was distracted and punched him in the face. Fuck yeah. He ran out the front door and flapped down two officers, and those are the ones that ended up arresting Dahmer. So the ones that actually did their job. Correct. Mm-hmm. Plot twist, Tracy Edwards, the man who got away from Dahmer, was convicted of homicide after a brawl of his own resulted in him throwing a man over a bridge. This is years after. Life is just full of a bunch of fucking crazy ass twists and turns, isn't it? So at first, Dahmer had pled not guilty, even though he confessed to the murders and confessed to eating the bodies. Okay. He's like, just kidding. Sorry, my cat just meowed <laughs> in the mic. <laughs> my little baby. That's Ari. Ari. Okay, Freya's the black one. Yeah, my little spooky baby. Spooky baby. <laughs> These are my yin and yang. Oh, I the like black that. Black and white, and they're complete opposites of each other. I like that. Mm-hmm. So the court was like, wait a minute, you're pleading not guilty even though you confessed? So he came back and said, well, I'm insane. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually my excuse for any time i do complete insanity <laughs> i'm i'm just a little insane I don't well know. you should have come out with that to begin with because then the court was like um nice try you're going away not only are you going away for life you're going away for many lives he was found guilty on 13 counts and was given 15 consecutive life terms, which is about 957 years. Perfect. He only served a few of them. Before he died. He served his sentence at the Columbia Correctional Institution in Wisconsin. It was said that he did feel remorse for his actions and that he found God. I'm going to keep my words to myself on that one. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Hopefully, but I, I highly doubt it. I especially don't believe it because of the fact that he liked to mess with the other inmates. He would make the food that he was served look like body parts. And he would cover them in ketchup and say it was blood and like really try and scare the other inmates. What a godly man. This behavior led to his death. He was working a regular task alone with Christopher Scarver and Jesse Anderson. On November 28th of 1994, the guards left them alone to do their job, and when they came back, Christopher Scarver had brutally beaten both Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh. They were both alive when the guards came back, but Jeffrey Dahmer died of head trauma on the way to the hospital. wonder what your skull looked like, Jeffrey. Justice. Uh, did he, though? Did he? Yeah, he got brutally beaten. I mean, he got beaten, but he died. 
better than natural causes of old age, live a long life of an imprisonment, and they get brutally murdered because that's what you deserve. Come at me, people. It would have been better if somebody had eaten him, I think. Mm, and not in a good that's way. That's true justice. Tell me about Dapper and the Dame. I know, it's Dame. No longer Dames. It's actually left us. No, it's okay. I'm just kidding. So now it's just Cole and I. And we're broadening our topic to more, as you know, obviously, and anybody who listened to Dapper and the Dames, we did conspiracy theory. But now we're going to focus a lot more on true crime and just like mysteries and mayhem and have some drinks while doing it. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. And you're coming back in October? We're shooting for October right now because, you know, we're spooky. We like the spooky shit. So we're aiming for the perfect month to re-release, which, yeah, we're going for October. Perfect. I'm excited. Thanks. I'm excited to hear this episode. Kenzie, thank you so much again for coming on the show. And spooky friends, make sure you check out the upcoming releases in October of the Dapper and the Dame podcast for everything that is conspiracy, true crime, and all around mayhem. If you have a story that's strange, unusual, or macabre of your own to share, feel free to email me at burtonesquepodcast at gmail.com or find me on all of your favorite social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and please remember to rate and review. Until next time, my spooky friends.